0: listening to Lead, Speak, Grow with your host, Dr. Makisha Mullins, also known as Dr. Mack. Lead, Speak, Grow is a space curated for those ready to take the lead in their lives, speak a truth that affirms them in their purpose, and places them on a path of continuous growth. This is a safe space where I have real conversations with guests about life challenges and how they've overcome them. I hope you are inspired to lead, speak, and grow today and every day forward. In part two of my conversation with Dr. Kelly Holder, who's the chief wellness officer at the Alpert Warren Medical School and assistant director of counseling and psychological services at Brown University, she shares her path to becoming a psychologist and how we can reclaim the definition of self-care. Um, and so, you know, just like the students you're working with, you were once a student. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your path to to chief wellness officer. I, obviously you didn't graduate from school and then bam, yeah, like, oh, make her it, chief wellness officer. <laughs> yeah.
1: It is the most, I think it's an amazing story. Um, and I feel grateful that it's mine. So um, I will go back to, so in college, I attended Oakwood university and I was a, I started out as a chemistry major. I changed my major to biochemistry and I graduated with a degree in biochemistry. And my deal was I wanted to become a neuroscientist. So I was accepted to uh, the Ohio State University in a neuroscience Ph.D. program. I spent one year in that program. And during my time there, um, when you do like a Ph.D. in STEM, you usually have to rotate through at least three labs before you choose the lab you're going to stick with to do your research and that kind of thing. Two out of the three labs that I rotated in did neuropsych research. And so one of the people in particular was a neuropsychologist. And I sat with this person while they were doing, it was a research-based neuropsychological exam. Now, at the time, I did not appreciate or understand that this person was a clinical psychologist. I just knew they were doing neuro research and it collaborated with this other lab. So I spent half my time in some place like slicing cat brains so I could look <laughs> at them under a microscope and pipetting something. Who knows what I was doing at that point? And then on clinic days, I would get to go in and see this person talk with individuals, fill out questionnaires, do surveys around, um, around their neural, like neurological functioning. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was the coolest thing. And I was like, how could I do this for a living? Not for research, but I like talking to people. Like, I want to talk to people. Like, mm-hmm. how could I do this? And I found out that um, this person indeed was a clinical neuroscientist clinical psychologist whose specialty was in neuropsych and that if I wanted to do something like that, I would have to get a PhD in psychology. And that's what I did. I, I effectually started applying to um, psychology programs. And the next year I went to Loma Linda University and I was PhD student in their clinical psychology program. Now, this is where I think it gets interesting. I'm in this program, um, I'm going through my coursework, and what I didn't know, in order to do neuropsychology, you have to become a clinical psychologist first, and then you do your postdoc in neuropsych, Hmm. right? So you have to go through all the training that a regular clinical psychologist goes through. And then when I did all of that, who would have known that I would like doing therapy? (laughs) I'm like, oh! this is stuff I can do. I know how to do this. And so while I had every intent to um, still do like the specialty in neuropsych, some things happened and I ended up in um, a health psychology uh, postdoc program. So I did my postdoc at Harbor UCLA in um, behavioral medicine, um, health psychology. My focus was HIV and women's health. And it was an amazing experience. Wow. Wow. When I finished that, um, our family moved and I took some time. I started having children. I took some time to be with my kids and I worked part time in college counseling centers. And um, I spent some time doing private practice. And as my kids got older, I decided I was going to work more full time. And again, I was working in college counseling Mm -hmm. centers. Um, Those are great at the time, great places to work because a lot of people needed contract work. And so I it afforded me the opportunity to still spend time with my kids and still work. Um, And then I had this opportunity. um, I met someone at a at a training I went to who presented this opportunity to me that they needed a director, someone to run to start a, um, a counseling program for medical students. And I thought, I don't know, maybe I could do this job. I don't know. Now, in the meantime, I also was doing some teaching um, and some all sorts of other related psychology things um, that were related to academia. And I never would have known that my, my specialty in health psych, my work in higher ed and counseling centers would come together. And work out that I was able to have this awesome opportunity to build from scratch a counseling center for mainly for medical students, graduate students. And we had PA students at the time. And so that was at Penn State College of Medicine. And that program grew. It grew. And then I was offered the opportunity to expand and take on residents and physicians. And so the office changed the Office of Professional Mental Health. And I was able to do that for about a year, a year and a half or so before I got the opportunity to come here to Brown and do this work, which was very similar, really based on a lot of the things that I did in growing the program at Penn State, all the wellness work that I did and the mental health related work as well.
0: So well, that's, that's
1: how awesome. I got here. It's
0: <laughs> an interesting road. Yeah, that's awesome. Because um, you're not... Thinking that you're going to enjoy, you know, you kind of have like an idea about. Oh, this is what I want to do. Because like then your eye gets kind of open. You kind of, oh, what's that? What's that thing over there that I think I may like? <laughs> I think I may right, like. Right? Yeah. And, now and never would have known though, right? Yeah. So that says a- something
1: about trying things and being mm-hmm. open. You know, exactly. Definitely. We sometimes we think we know, but we don't until we have this opportunity to experience it
0: yeah and to, and to explore those opportunities that's yeah. that's amazing what would you along that line what would you tell students um put the same kind of mindset like you know i'm going to do often in those areas we're thinking a very stem mindset this is the path we're going to go down um you know i work with young kids in stem in our nonprofit, and so to have the skills to excel in in STEM disciplines it, it takes a lot it's very rigorous pathway and so for you to be able to get to a high level program within like in a STEM area and then to say oh, you know you put a lot of time and energy into getting there um so what would you say to students like yourself that maybe thinking about possibly making a pivot and doing something different you know that you have all this invested
1: yeah i what i would say is You have to be mindful that you're going to live with yourself for the rest of your life. Hmm. I think one of the things that made me pivot was I didn't appreciate how much social interaction I got at Oakwood as a STEM student. I was a part of a lab that had, you know, Oakwood's a HBCU. So students that looked like me who had same interests as me. Um, we spent a lot of time together. The camaraderie was really great. And while I could excel at those things and knew those things, I didn't realize how much the social interactions and being with people was important to me Mm -hmm. until I got into an environment that was more similar to what work would look like. And the work itself, while I could do it and was interesting, it wasn't enough to sustain me, to have joy at work. Mm. And I, you know, I have to live with myself. I spend most of, we spend, most of us spend most of our time at work. Yes. And so I am grateful that I was open enough and not didn't feel so that I had to hold on to one thing so hard at the exclusion of things that might bring me more joy showing up to work. Um, And I'm not saying that everyone should make the decision specifically in the same way that I do did. But what I would say is it's really important to be honest with yourself about who you are Mm, and how you experience the world and not what how other people want you to experience the world. Because at the end of the day, you know, not your parents or your cousin or all the people who are encouraging. They're not going to be there when you have to be at work eight, nine, ten hours a day. Right. And so, you know, be be open to make a change. If you're noticing that. That you don't think if you if you have any clue that what you're doing can't be sustainable, um, Mm. if you have options, go for them, I'm not against hard work I'm not against showing up when things aren't the best. Sometimes we have to do that too, but it's not sustainable. So we shouldn't, I don't think anyone, um, if they have a choice, because sometimes we don't, but if you have a choice, allow yourself to be in an environment where you can thrive, not just from knowledge based,
0: but emotionally and physically as well too. Yeah. I think that's that part is so vital that honesty component. I've been I've been using that. I feel like I've been using it. I feel somewhat affirmed by the fact that you just used the similar language that I've been saying it so often myself. It's like be honest, be honest with yourself. Are you speaking honestly? Are you being truthful? Um, and I guess for me as I've been on this path of really kind of thinking about things more kind of intentionally and more intensively for myself. Um, that that odds that i have to reconcile so i want to bridge over a little bit into you, as you're speaking about that honesty and that kind of internal dialogue you have to have you also do some work um, with supporting people and encouraging people to be mindful of their self-care um, also yeah. so if you want to take a, take a few minutes to kind of share like that work that you're doing and um, what are you hoping for people to receive from it
1: yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this because this is brand new work on my end. I recently, for the most part, finished a book that's about self-care that I'm working on the public um, publication process on. And to be honest, I really think about self-care as wellness. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that I just spoke about in terms of wellness in general I like applying those same principles to this idea of self-care. I'm really passionate about it because self-care is a term that has been hijacked by marketing companies and products Mm -hmm. and different things. And so oftentimes when we think of self-care, we think about all the things that people are trying to sell to us. And I really want to take it back (laughs) and aid people in really figuring out how do I best care for myself? How can I figure out all the layers of my life that are important to me and invest in them Mm -hmm. in sustainable ways? No crash this or crash that Mm -hmm. or 10 day this or 30 day that. Mm -hmm. Like how can I really do, take care of myself in a sustainable way? Something that um, will be number one good for me And. Over time,
0: sprout gifts for others. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important point that you just made that we it is, you know, like the idea of wellness and self-care now has become, you know, some of those things that are just in our mainstream conversation and it begins to become somewhat diluted. Although we're not even sure what we're talking about anymore, because you see, you know, you pass a strip mall and it's. It's a wellness center and spa, you know. Like, okay, okay, possibly. I mean, it, I mean, it, not saying that it can't be that, right? Um, yeah, but the fact that there's so many of them, you just wonder, okay, how are you using that? What does that mean <laughs> coming from this space? And in self care, you know, often people joke about, you know, doing retail therapy and other kind of things as their self care or, you know, excessive wine consumption, all these things that are kind of been place into our uh, social discourse that tend to not necessarily be caring for ourselves the best way we can. Um, I know there's some research about alcohol consumption going up during the pandemic for women, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, So really kind of reshaping and bring us back to basics on what self-care is. Tell us, uh, because you also written another book as well. You said you're you're publishing a book on self-care, but you also wrote another book if you want to kind of share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so this book I wrote, I wrote it, um, it got published in 2016. It is a children's um, devotional book. It's called Playdate with with God. I wrote it when my children, well, it got published when my children, no, okay, I wrote it when my children were two, four, and six. And I wrote it because um, my children are lively. They're lively. Now, I married somebody who's really calm, and I, I thought I was going to get one calm kiddo. <laughs> now that they're getting older, one is calming down, but they're all so lively. And we would have these times of worship, and I just couldn't get them to sit down. And I decided I wanted to write the devotional book I wish I had. And so it really is a play date. There's 10 devotions in it, and each devotion is a game. A game and it has a thought that goes with it. And I promise you, my kids are older now. My oldest is 14, and it's still one of their favorite <laughs> devotion books. They'll say, Can we do play date with God? And, um, you know, when I'm feeling tired, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, because all the games are active, mm-hmm. again, because I wrote it when they were really small. And so, you know, um, a lot of get up out of your seat. Have fun together, and then a way to incorporate God's Word and remind them that they are loved by God above everything and so um
0: it's a really fun book, so yeah that that's awesome um I think it's it's special to be able to have that because many times you know we'll go to two doctors we'll we'll see a physician and they're telling us things we should do about our health, and you know I've seen physicians outside smoking or being morbidly obese and all all these kind of things you have. like, How are you helping me? It's it's great to hear someone that's working to help people maintain their mental health and, and trying to create this synergy for themselves and their families as well. Um, It it makes me feel like, okay, this is a credible person. I can, I can, I can trust kind of what they're telling me (laughs) because they're, they're using it in their, their own lives. I'm trying to, I think it's trying to,
1: I tell people I'm an expert. I'm an expert in both Self care and the struggle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Creative, on the balance part of it. And I think that's the, that having the honesty in it as well, too, is that I need these things for myself. I need these tools for yes. myself. Um, makes it more accessible for people. Uh, so I just want to thank you again, Kelly, for taking this time. I know you the demand is great for your time um, and the work, important work that you're doing um, at Brown University for, for the students there. Um, and supporting them in their mental health journeys um, to maintain wellness. So I just want to thank you so much for taking this time. And, and, oh, and right. hopefully we can do this again at some point in the future. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes, yes,
0: yes. You take care. Thank you for joining the journey. I hope you were inspired to lead, speak and grow today and every day forward. Be sure you follow the Lead, Speak, Grow podcast on your podcast carrier.